0: Pleasure to be speaking to you once again, if you're watching this at the Hove site or the Shoreham site, at Oasis online or at the Clarendon Centre. We are in a series that we've called Buried and it's predominantly looking at the story of the life life of Joseph, who was uh, a very famous character that we read about in the Old Testament book of Genesis, and we're at the beginning of his story. If you were with us uh, last week, we heard about how Joseph was a young man who got thrown in a pit, betrayed by his brothers. And they then tell uh, his father that he's dead. And so the story is left on something of a cliffhanger. And if you want to know what happens next to Joseph, you'll have to come back next week. Because actually today, what we have as we read through Genesis is a mini story at this point in the scripture about one of Joseph's brothers who's called Judah, and the story is about Judah and Tamar. And perhaps if you've read the Bible before, maybe you read the Bible and and you go through books of the Bible, and particularly when we get to this section where most of the second and last portion of Genesis is about Joseph, it's tempting perhaps to skip over this story, or even if you do read it, to not really think about it too much as something of a, uh, just an interruption in the main narrative of Joseph. But firstly, because it doesn't seem that relevant, Joseph's not mentioned at all in the passage we're just about to hear. But also, it, it's not a nice story, it's a horrible story, in fact. And uh, I just want to give that warning, sort of heads up at this point, first of all. Uh, this, the, the Bible passage probably should have a 15 certificate. Uh, it is sexually graphic. And so if, you, if children are in the room, it's not really appropriate uh, to, for, them, for them to hear. Um, it's a reminder that the Bible tells real stories about, well, all aspects of human, the human experience, including the darkest moments. And the Bible actually doesn't shy away uh, from speaking about, well, what the Bible calls sin, which is part of all of our experiences. And as it might be unsettling to listen to and to focus on this week, because it, it is a story of family strife. It is a story of abuse. It is a story of a woman being mistreated and exploited by men. And in that way, it's a very human story and it's an all too familiar story. But as with all of this series that we're going through, we're looking at how God works in people's lives, even through the darkest moments. The story of Joseph is a story of pit to palace. He's thrown in the pit, but then God works circumstances to bring him to a place of prominence and dignity. And the whole series really is about how God can take the darkest moments in our lives, but actually bring us out of those places to a place of hope in him. And even those darkest and difficult times in the hands of God are just a chapter in our lives. And with God, there is always another chapter. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, there's always another chapter. There's always reasons for hope. There's always reason to look above and beyond our immediate circumstances, to cling on to the promises of God and who he is and what he has said, and look at the way in which God is working. And even in this dark and horrible story that we're going to focus on today, we see that. We see the compassion of God, we see the the way in which God restores, we see the way in which God takes a broken situation and broken people and rushes in with grace. And my prayer is that we see that and we go on that step with God today and it could be the case that things in this story or about the story resonate with you and I I understand it would be it will be a bit unsettling but where we're going to go today is to see how God meets us in our darkness and brings us to a place of hope and hope in him so please listen to the story as, as it's read now it's a quite a long passage but it's an important story and I want us to engage with it this morning.
1: It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Sheila. Judah was in Kezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law
0: to her, and raise up offspring for your brother.
1: But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law,
0: Remain a widow in your father's house till Sheila my son grows up
1: for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shurah's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend, Hira the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Inaam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come unto me? He answered,
0: I will send you a young goat from the flock.
1: And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil she put the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the Colt prostitute who is at Naim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied,
0: let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her.
1: About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the star. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zera.
0: As I mentioned a moment ago, last week with the story of Joseph, he was literally thrown in a pit. But through this Buried series, we're using this idea of the pit as an analogy of the difficult and dark moments in our lives. We all have them. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe it is it's an experience of your past, but still echoes into your present and has an impact on you now. And those low points in our lives are sometimes because circumstances have conspired against us, or it's the actions of others that have brought us low, and we are victims of others or circumstances. And that's going to resonate with one character in this story, Tamar, as it resonates with Joseph's experience that we're looking at in the broader story here. But where I want to start today is actually with Judah. Judah is in a mess here. He's in a pit, but it's a pit of his own making. And that can also be part of our experience as well. Sometimes we get our lives into a mess and it's not because of what others have done, it's because of what we have done. It's self-inflicted and that's Judah's story here. Maybe you can resonate with that. In verse one of the passage that we just heard there, it describes how Judah turned away from his family and he has started to associate with foreign people away from his own family and we might not think too much of that at first but we need to know the context of the book of Genesis that Judah's family were significant and right at the center of God's plans and purposes as described in the Bible and Judah is not just turning away from people that he was familiar with to find some new friends, he's turning away from God's purposes and turns his back on them. And that is the beginnings of a descent into the mess that he creates. And that might be something that you've experienced in your life, that you've turned away from people or made some decisions in the direction of your life, maybe fueled by a sort of something you were going after, a a selfish desire, but you've associated with people that have been a bad influence on you and things have actually got worse and worse. You thought it was for good at first, but it's actually led you on a downward spiral. This can happen, perhaps maybe you've ter- turned away from family or started to hang out with some friends that have been a bad influence on you. It can happen with romantic relationships. We as- get associated with someone in an in inappropriate way or in a-, in a relationship that, I mean, maybe at first we think is good and then it turns bad and it turns destructive and we get caught in that. And all sorts of aspects of our lives can be associated with that, but we end up in a pit. And that's what happens with Judah here. Again, on the surface, it might might not seem that bad. Why is it so significant, Judah turning away from his family? Well, let me just talk about a little bit macro here to help us understand the Bible before going into the really personal aspect of it. To understand the Bible, we've got to understand that most of it is God's uh, story of his redemption of his people. Him saving a people to himself. And the way that plays out through the Bible is firstly through one man, Abraham, who God says, I'm going to make your people and your family a blessing. Starts with a man that promise extends to a family, which Judah is part of. And as we go through Genesis into the rest of the Old Testament, that family becomes a nation. And as the Bible turns to the New Testament, what we have is that nation through Jesus Christ, the promise and blessing of God extends to the whole world. So we have man, we have family, we have nation, and then the ends of the earth. And at this point in the story that we're, under, we're reading about today, that the family, God's purposes and blessing is wrapped up in Judah's family. And so discussions as to who's married to who, how the family line is being extended, were incredibly important, not just for those individuals in that moment, but for many generations to come. They would have looked back, who are our ancestors? What is our family line been about? And that is something that probably as modern readers now, we don't tend to think about very much. Because when it comes to like a fundamental question of life, like, who am I? The society that most of us live in is a Western 21st century society tends to answer that question, who am I? We've been trained to look within ourselves. Who am I? Well, what do my feelings maybe? Who do I want to be? Not based on my family background, but, but based on my preferences and my sense of self. That's the way we tend to talk about. It's important to recognize that that's an exception. It's probably not an exaggeration to say most human societies in history, when coming to that fundamental human question, who am I? Their community, their cultural traditions, their family line have informed the answer to that question. Who am I? Well, who are my people? How have we lived before? Who are our ancestors? What decisions did they make? That informs who I am. And we've lost that. We're at a complete other end of a spectrum on that. So much so that there's sections of society now in Western society where. Our parents are having children, and they're, they're not even saying, not even stating whether their children are boy or girl. And we'll, we'll let the children decide as they grow whether that fundamental, who am I? Well, it's completely down to the individual based on what subjective feelings. That just shows the ex- extreme end of the spectrum that we are in in our society. But for the Bible story, the thinking is very different. And even though these are decisions that they're making, and it's a true story, is given to us. But as one of the commentators says, the future hangs on the choices. Who Judah marries, how he builds his family, whether Tamar gets to uh, be the mother of Judah's family line is incredibly important. What's more, what we see in Judah turning away from this family to start another family with another group of people that don't know the promises of God, it actually also foreshadows much of what happens later when that family becomes a nation. And a pattern that developed is the Israelites at times were close to God, and had a good relationship with God. But at other times they got led astray as they involved themselves in other families and other nations and other people. The intermarrying actually led them away from God's plans and purposes in a sinful way. And this foreshadows that to a great extent. But let's talk about more of the personal aspect of what Judah is doing here. This story where Judah, has his own ideas of what family should look like and makes decisions away from the promises of God is an example of, I guess, the explosive impact of sin. When we choose to go our way rather than God's way, the impact of that is not just felt by us, but it carries on through, and especially when it's the case of family and sex and choices around that, it affects future generations. And that's what happens here. Judah, he's an example of family life motivated by selfish desire rather than reflecting the self-giving love of God. Judah thought he knew better than God and did things his own way. And what happens is his children follow in this way. And the Bible doesn't say very much, but it says in Judah's two children, Ur and Onan, they're wicked. They're wicked. They, they, they follow in this pattern of sin. And they're struck down. God judges them for their wickedness. Judah's first on Ur, it doesn't even, even say particular things that he did other than he was wicked and that God struck him down. And because of that, Tamar loses her husband. And then what's described here is another aspect of this passage that seems strange to us. This cultural practice of the younger brother being obligated to marry the widow in order that she might have children and carry on that family line. And again, that's something that seems strange to us. I accept that. It's not something that we continue on now or teach in this church but it's part of the Bible story. And at best what it was there for was instituted for the protection and the dignifying of women who might otherwise have been left destitute by being a widow. And so Onan had a responsibility to look after Tamar and the way that worked out was by marrying her and having children with her. But Onan did something that was incredibly wicked in itself, to feign that responsibility, but not follow through with that. And he selfishly exploits the situation to the detriment of Tamar for his own pleasure. It's perhaps worth making an aside at this point that maybe if you've grown up in church, or you're familiar with church, some have cited this passage as justification for prohibition of contraception. But let me just be really clear, that's not what this passage is about. And generally, most Christians are pro-contraception. But it's not wrong what Onan does, as we've just heard in the passage there. It's not wrong because it's sex that doesn't lead to children. It's wrong because it's sexual abuse. This manipulative, exploitative and controlling behaviour for selfish gain is just at the other end of the spectrum of what sex is about. God takes sin seriously. And it says that the Lord put him to death. Perhaps when we heard this story just now, maybe it was the first time, or maybe we've come across it before. And I know maybe for, for some, maybe the reaction was, that, oh, here's another passage in the Bible where women are being mistreated and it doesn't seem that the Bible really cares very much. Well, not at all. This is a reminder, God sees sin, God cares about victims. God is a God of justice and the Bible talks a lot about the judgment of God and in many ways that God is patient in bringing about his justice and judgment upon sin in the world and is patient giving people to re- a chance to repent, but just because it's patient doesn't mean it's no less real. but sometimes, God in his word gives us a glimpse and how his judgment will be dispensed in vivid and immediate terms. And this is an example of that. Uh and Onan struck down by God. And when we consider, when I've been considering that this week, I, I can't read this passage in the context of it without putting together God the judge and, and God the father. I think what we see here is a fatherly reaction here as well. You know, Tamar, she gets wrapped up in this, this story of Judah and his family line. And we don't know quite what her relationship to God and his promises is at this point. But whoever she was, whatever family she came from, she is someone made in the image of God. And in that sense, a daughter of God. And God sees the abuse that she had to endure. And God responded. And God says, enough. You don't do that to my daughter. And if you do, you deserve not to live. And he takes Onan's life. Sin is serious. God is serious about sin. And I think in a right sense, passages like this should remind us of that and should give us a right fear of God. I want to turn now and look more specifically at Tamar's experience. I've said there that Judah's pit, the mess that he makes, is of his own doing. It's a a pit of his own sin. But for Tamar, she's in the pit. She's mistreated. It's a pit of suffering. If we think about this passage, Tamar is is wronged, mistreated by four men. Ur, who's just a wicked husband. Onan, who is abusive, as I've already described there. Now Judah, Ur and Onan's father, lies to her promises that she would be able to marry Judah's third son but then doesn't act on it and actually neglects her. He sends Tamar away. He says, go to your father's house. He doesn't take responsibility for looking after her. He actually sends her away. And this third son, we don't really hear much about at all, Shelah, he's passive too. He doesn't step forward with his responsibility to look after Tamar. He's passive, and so she is wronged by all four. And notice in the text as well, we have the result, which is another layer of injustice, which sadly so commonly happens in situation of abuse, that Tamar is regarded as dangerous. That's why she's sent away. That's why Judah is reluctant to give his third son, because two of her husbands have died and somehow, The blame is put to her. Wow, she's the one that's dangerous here, even though actually she is the victim in the situation. Now, at this point, Tamar takes matters into her own hands. And it's important to point out that this is wrong. She does have the right to carry Judas' heir But the way she goes about claiming that and taking hold of that for herself is is through deception and through trickery. And I guess in that sense, it's this story, actually, in its position in Genesis can be contrasted with Joseph, who we're going to read about more as we go through this series. And we see when Joseph is wronged and when Joseph is not living in promises that he will later live in, he trusts God that God will raise him up. He doesn't have to snatch. But Tamar is a contrast to that. She tries to take hold of what she feels that she owes, which she is owed, but she makes her own plan. And she tricks Judah. She, she, she uses Judah's weakness and his sinfulness. To her own ends, and as the passage described, Tamar dresses as a prostitute, and Judah, her father-in-law, sleeps with her. And she knows that he can't be trusted to do the honourable thing, so she she makes sure she um, has evidence from him of what has happened, and it's just a horribly messy situation. Where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? We have victims, we have perpetrators. We have victims who sin as well. Should God just wipe them all out, just as he's taken uh, an Onan's life? Well, actually, what we see in this passage is God's grace. God's grace played out in Judah and Tamar's life Firstly Judah Judah comes to a moment of repentance Verse 26 when the scheme is unveiled and Judah realizes what he has done against Tamar he says to her she is more righteous than I Judah recognized that he is not righteous. (laughs) Judah, through this messy circumstances, finally realized, oh, wait a minute, she's more righteous than I am not righteous. And Judah reaches this recognition of his own sinfulness. And that is the first step of repentance. And actually, when we see that in this text... It's evidence of the grace of God towards Judah. We're going to go on to see in future weeks the story of Joseph unveiling, and and Judah's part of that. And what we see is Judah is a changed man. The, The subsequent references to Judah are positive. He acts actually heroically and righteously later on. And so this moment marks something of a change. Judah has descended into the pit of his own making, but God's grace reaches him so that he recognizes that he has done wrong. He is unrighteous and that change needs to happen. And sometimes God's grace on our lives is him showing us that we're wrong. Showing us that we need to change. Highlighting that we are sinful. It might not feel like this is God's grace in a moment, but when you're in the pit of your own sin, the only way out is to recognize that you do have sin, that you have wronged, and recognize it before God. When the pit is our own making, the first step out is to acknowledge our own sinfulness that put us there in the first place. And what does that look like for you? Is it speaking to a friend? Is it being honest with God? Is it about coming to communion table with real repentance? Is it even forgiving others? Maybe you withheld forgiveness and you're living in bitterness. With God, there is transformation, but with God, it begins with repentance, which involves acknowledging our own sin. But also believing that God's grace has extended to us because God wants to forgive and offers us forgiveness through Christ. So we have God's grace here evidenced by Judah's repentance but we also have God's grace on Tamar as well. I've already mentioned how I guess the judgment of Ur and Onan are, are, are signs really of God's fatherly protection over Tamar. And we can also recognize God's favor of her conceiving just for one encounter with Judah. Not just one, but two children are given to her. But most of all, God restores Tamar's rights and her dignity. She does get to continue Judah's family line and be the mother of an incredible family line. She gets this prominent place in the family of God. And to underline that, I wanna take you to Matthew chapter one, the first book in the New Testament, the first gospel about Jesus, the first few verses. What does it say here? The book, Matthew 1, verses 1 to 3. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. By Tamar. If you don't already know, when there's... Genealogies listed in the Bible predominantly is list of men, list of fathers and sons. But Matthew here goes out of his way to mention Tamar, one of very few women mentioned in these lists. Think about that for a moment. Tamar, this victim of abuse, this featured in this horrible story. If this story was in your family history, this would be the skeleton in the closet. This would be the story that you don't want people to know about. And yet Matthew, in writing his gospel, wants to underline that name. And it's that's the grace of God. The grace of God to pick out Tamar. Two husbands who have mistreated her, but God has not forgotten her quite the opposite it's the grace of god to pick her out to say my daughter i'm gonna make sure everybody knows your name that's what god does you can be used misused abused cast aside and forgotten but you're not forgotten by god He remembers those in the pit, He lifts them out, He clears their name, He dignifies and restores them to a prominence they wouldn't even believe. That's what God is like, that's what God does. We see it here, you see it in the life of Jesus. Well this passage so reminded me of Jesus, towards the end of his life, there's an encounter, he's sitting in someone's home and a woman comes to him and anoints him with oil and the disciples, what is this going on, why are you doing this? Jesus says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are, thousands of years later, not skipping the story of Tamar, because she was important to God, and God wanted you to know her name. Yes, she was a victim, yes, she was a sinner, but she was a daughter precious to God, And Jesus came into this world to welcome people like her into his family. To give her a place of prominence, to give her dignity. And Jesus died on the cross for sufferers like Tamar and sinners like Judah. And broken people like me and you so that we too can join this story the story of the people of God, the family line, where we all get dignity because of Jesus, where we're all honored because of Jesus, where we're all, all precious and loved by him because of Jesus. So are you in the pit today? A pit of your own making, or maybe a pit of suffering. Well, the pit the pit is not the story. <laughs> the pit is just a chapter. Trust the great storyteller. Your story isn't finished yet. And because of Jesus, there is hope. So come to him today. He knows your name. He will restore your dignity. He will redeem you. Come to Jesus today. Amen.